Well, it's, uh, we're kicking off a new series in the book of Galatians. And I want to talk to you as we begin this in the first five verses. So if you've got your Bibles, do turn and start to look at the first five verses of Galatians. Galatians, of course, is a remarkable book and is powerful. Actually, Galatians, as I've said, is dynamite. It's explosive. Now, you might say, why is Galatians dynamite? Why is it so explosive? Well, Galatians is incredible because it brings us right back to the reality and the power of the gospel. It is the power of the gospel that transforms lives. It is the power of the gospel that brings salvation. It is the power of the gospel that rescues lives. Now the gospel, and often mistakenly, we think that the gospel is just for those who need to get saved. So I preach the gospel and people come and they get saved. But the gospel has the power to continually transform my life and your life. Sometimes I preach the gospel to myself. And I remind myself that I'm a wicked, failed sinner, but I'm saved by the grace of God. I remind myself, and I look in the mirror, and I remind myself that there was a time when I was lost. There was a time when I was helpless. There was a time when I could not go anywhere else. But there from nowhere appeared in the sovereignty and the grace of God. God reached down to me, and he rescued my soul, and he brought me to salvation. So you might think... The gospel is part of the Christian message. But I want to tell you that what Galatians teaches us in an age when the gospel message is being watered down, in an age when we are under attack from every direction philosophically, policy-wise, in so many different areas, I want to remind you that the gospel is is the A to Z of our faith. It is the beginning and is there and it changes us It is alive, it is dynamic, and it is fantastic. For it reminds me that I was once so wicked, but now I am so loved by God. And Paul is so concerned about the power of the gospel being released in Galatia. If you don't know where Galatia is... The letter to the book of Galatians was to a few churches in a region called Galatia. So if you've been to Turkey, of which I have, I used to live in England and we used to go on holiday to Turkey. So I think we went about six times. I took twin children aged five months for a two-week holiday to Turkey. I must have been mad. And I mean, truthfully, we could have landed on Mars. Uh, we just, uh, we had everything that we needed to feed these children and we arrived in Turkey in a place called Oluda Denis. It has no ancient uh, point, that actual place, it's just a resort. Um, but if you imagine, the left side of Greece is the Mediterranean side, then there's a central region and then there's this region to the east. The central region is Galatia. It's right in the heart. It was famous because around, you won't believe this, but around 250 BC, uh, it was taken over by a group of Celts. Now, you probably don't know this, or you may know this. When we talk about Celts, we always think about Scottish and Irish 
and the Celts. But the Celts were all over Europe, in northern Europe, all around Portugal. They had the same language and they were all connected. In fact, in, in places in Scotland and in places in Wales, they still speak that kind of Gaelic. Well, well the, if you like, the, the, the Celts moved to Galatia. And they took over. They were invited to be there, actually, by Galatian king. It wasn't particularly called that then, in that region. And by a king. uh, And they were there as paid mercenaries to fight every other battle for the Galatian little kingdom there. So you can imagine all of these Scots and all of these, you know, you can, trouble. So they moved... And, and they lived there, and for about 200 years in Galatia, it had this massive Celtic uh, uh, kind of influence in terms of the Celtic tribes that were across northern Europe. And when we think of Celts, we always think of kind of uh, Britain, but it was all across northern Europe. And they were the fighters until they were assimilated into the Roman Empire, and it all became part of the Roman Empire, of course. So in the middle of this region in Turkey, in this region, Paul had gone and planted churches. And Paul was this missionary, letter-writing apostle who was passionate. The letter to the Galatians is written about 50 AD. About 15 or so, 17, 18 years after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And most scholars agree that it's within that period. So it's important because it's a recent letter and it's explaining to us the fundamentals of the Christian faith. Because within the church of Galatia, there was a battle that was taking place because Christianity was birthed out of Judaism and there was a movement and mainly Christians were Jews at that point, but that through those years, the apostle Paul had been planting churches amongst the Gentiles. While he was planting all these churches, there was a great debate. Just read Acts chapter 15. There was a great debate about whether these Gentiles should become more like Jews. And they should follow the Torah. They should follow Jewish tradition. And Paul is horrified at this. And the whole letter of Galatians is about him saying, no, the gospel is the gospel. And what he's actually saying is this, that the gospel plus this plus that is no gospel. But the gospel is the gospel. And when you add things to the gospel, it no longer becomes the gospel. But the gospel is a message of the grace and love of God for this broken world. In many ways, Galatia and the letter to Galatians is a letter to the prodigal church. Because there is always a danger with churches that churches can lose their direction, lose their true focus and start to drift away from the foundations and the doctrine of the Christian church. And here we see an example before our very eyes in the chapters that we're going to be exploring. We see an example of a church that starts to dilute the reality and the power of the gospel. They're the prodigal church. 
They are the prodigal church because they're starting to believe something else, something plus, something that's added on. They've been in the Father's house and now they're wandering in their doctrine and their thinking to a distant and far country. They're starting to go in a direction that will bear no fruit. They're going in a direction of where they are leaving grace behind. And let me remind you what grace is. Grace is God's gift to us even though we do not deserve it. Grace is that every one of us is bankrupt But the God in heaven has looked at our bankrupt lives and said, your debts are forgiven, you can go free, and I make you a child of the kingdom. Grace is this, that you are condemned to death, but the hammer goes down in the court of God's law and says you are no longer condemned, but you are free to go, now live your life fully. That is God's grace. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. I can do nothing to earn it. But the message of grace is that when I fail and when I face pain and when I face difficulty and when I am lost, that grace actually comes to me. And the prodigal. I mean, where do we go? Where do you go when you fail? Where do you go when you know that you were standing in a shopping line and somebody in front of you is being very slow and very irritating and very annoying. And as you're stood there, you're thinking to yourself, oh, and you realize after a while that you are seeming so sort of rude and impatient. Where do you go when you know in a situation when you should have responded in kindness, but you responded in a different spirit and a different heart? Where do you go When you know that you are suddenly find yourself in your mind and you're thinking about other people and you're becoming jealous, you're becoming full of envious. Where do you go when in a little social setting you find yourself because we give in to our fleshly nature. You find yourself rather than being interested in people and listening to people, you find yourself subtly boasting about how amazing you are or boasting about how amazing your kids are. None of us ever do that, do we? Mine are awesome. Um, But we boast and you go and you realize when you walk away You know, these attitudes, when I respond in a selfish manner, when I speak about others around a coffee table in a way that does not honor people, but tears people down, when I think thoughts that are inappropriate, are are lustful, and are hurtful, and are wrong, where do I go? Well, what most people do is they go where our mother and father went. They go where Adam and Eve went. When they know that they're wrong, they run and they hide. They avoid. They try and ignore it. They try and say no. But the message of grace is is that when I fail in my flesh, when I fail in my weakness, when I fail and I cannot do it myself, do you know where I go? And you know where you should go? We should throw ourselves on the mercy of God's grace. Because God's grace renews us. God's grace forgives us. God's grace heals us. God's grace changes us. 
Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ, God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Instantly, in verse 1, Paul asserts his credentials to be able to speak to them. He's not saying that he's been appointed by any man. He's not saying that he's been appointed by any group of men. What he is saying is, the reason I can write to you is because I have encountered Jesus Christ personally. And my call is from God alone. And Jesus came to me. And I speak to you with the authority of the call that God has put on my life. Now this is important. Because Paul is not saying, I'm debating with you as one debater or one theologian. And he was qualified to do this, one of the most brilliant minds ever of the ancient world. But he's actually saying is, my authority doesn't come because of my training in Judaism. My authority doesn't come because people have said, you're an apostle. My authority doesn't come because of some ruling council or presbytery have said that my authority comes because I had a living encounter with Jesus. And Jesus Christ personally said to me, you are an apostle. And that's the authority that the letter's coming in. It's coming from someone who is this missionary, letter-writing man who is passionate about them not falling away. Passionate about rescuing the, um, the prodigal church. Passionate about saying to them clearly, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Instantly, verse 1, he gets right down to what it's all about. It's about Jesus. It's about him raising from the dead. And it's about the Father coming. And the Father coming with the plan of salvation to bring salvation to the world. Where do you go when you fail? Where do you go when you struggle? Have you noticed how each one of us can be like the church of Galatia? We can become prodigals. We can become arrogant. We can become stubborn. I read in the news this week that there was a man from Worcestershire. Now, I was interested in this because I'm from Worcestershire. And you know all about Worcestershire because of the sauce. And because it's a name that you cannot say. You always go, oh, can I have some Worcestershire sauce, please? <laughs> Worcestershire sauce. I mean, come on. It's, it's you know, or, or Worcestershire sauce. It is a problem. It is, and he's from Worcestershire, okay? He's from Worcestershire, and he's a stubborn man. I'm from Worcestershire, and... And he, were, he got a driving ticket three years ago for going, I'll put it in Canadian, 50 kilometers, 57 kilometers in a 50 zone. So, he got caught. And, uh, but he fought it. And, and they said you have to pay the, the fee. You have to pay the fine. The fine was... $150. But he fought it. 
And he fought it. He said, no, no, I am so stubborn. No, I take this to court. He went to the next court. He went to the next court. And this week, he's in all the British papers, because finally the high court says, no, you are guilty. And it cost him $50,000 in court costs to be told what he was told three years ago. That's stubborn. And he's from Worcestershire. And that is stubborn. Now, I say that, but there are words in, in, around this area that always mess me up, like use is a very weird word. And shoop-shrop. Uh, anyway, so we, it goes both ways. But so many of us in our character, we need the grace of God because we can get stuck in a certain way. We can become that church. We can become that individual. It's so easy for us to delude ourselves and think that we do not need the power of the gospel to transform our hearts. And when we become so stubborn, when we become so harsh, and when we become so tough, we need the grace of God to come and to mold our lives. See, this is important. Because as we will discover in the book as we go through, we discover that, that Paul sees this as a terrible thing. He first of all says, you are believing a false gospel. He says, by adding things for salvation, you are believing a false gospel. He then says, not only are you believing a false gospel in this opening chapter, but then in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, who on earth has bewitched you? This is, this is so wrong, and you're polluting the gospel, that it's actually come, and the spell has come on you, and it has completely bewitched you. And then, in chapter 4, verse 11, he says, Have I labored in vain and worked so hard that I have labored in such vain and such problems? I've given all of this. And then in chapter 5, he says, Because of this, it's as if you have been cut off and separated from the message of grace. See how serious the issues are? That when you move away from the truth of the power of the gospel... And you move away from the grace of God. And you move away from the rescue plan. Now the beautiful thing about these verses is that but Jesus Christ, God the Father whom raised him from the dead. And to all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. According to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Notice verse 3 is that he uses these lovely words, grace and peace to you. He opens it up with a tone of restoration. He opens it up with a tone of peace. He opens it up that he actually believes that even though they are going astray, that he's going to come and he's going to rescue this church, these churches. And that is the heart of Jesus Christ. 
The heart of Jesus Christ is always there to rescue that which is lost. The heart of Jesus Christ is redemption. The heart of Jesus Christ is salvation. The heart of Jesus Christ. And that he could have taken them out and kicked them into the, into the, um, uh, the dog pen. Into the dog house, I guess you would say. Get in there. That's what I do with my dog. My dog, oh, don't start. And my dog, I went to the vet. I met half the congregation there, and I came out having spent $250. I was not happy with that dog. Um, have I not heard of insurance? And, and, and in the doghouse, he could have taken out his biblical belt and instantly walked in and started, you know, giving them a good biblical beating with this belt. But he doesn't do that at the beginning. He doesn't do that. He does it in such a way that he wants them to know that for them, even though they are wandering, there is grace and there is peace. There is acceptance. There is always a way back to the glory of Jesus Christ. Don't give up on any church. Don't give up on any person. Don't give up on your life. There's always a way back. And there's grace. Grace. And he starts off with grace. He says, you've got lost with your GPS, but I'm going to bring you back, if I can, right back to the place where you started to veer off. I want to get you there. I want to bring you back. I want to get you to that place. And that's God. When we go off in the direction we shouldn't go, like the prodigal son, God always wants to get us back to the place we should be and the direction we should be going because we can be so stubborn like a Worcestershire man and we can say, no, no, no. And yet God is relentless and he says, get back to where you should be. And the gospel always calls you to get back to where you should be. It calls you back to repentance. It calls you back to devotion. It calls you back to making Jesus the Lord of your life. It calls you back as a church that we are called to be a gospel preaching, a gospel believing, a grace proclaiming church that invites the whole world to receive the gift of salvation. That's the heart of Paul. Get back. And yet these Judaizers have come in these, and have kind of presenting. And I've, I guess I'm on numerous commentaries by now. What always amazes me, that, that these Jewish teachers are very persuasive. They're coming in after Paul. They're undermining Paul. They're saying, first of all, you all need to be circumcised. Now, I don't need to go into detail about that, right? But that's very persuasive. Because if, you know, a grown man in the ancient world with the fears that they had for somebody to come in and start to persuade them, actually, guys, <clears throat> you need to be I'd be like, no, thank you. Just walk away. What kind of religion are you selling? What are you talking about? But it shows us, and all the commentaries say that in the ancient world, they are amazed that they even got traction in the middle of Galatia. But somehow, these Galatians 
somehow did not believe that the grace and the message of the cross is enough to do the job. That somehow they needed Jesus plus circumcision. Jesus plus the eating rites. Jesus plus all of the rules of the Torah. Jesus plus is no Jesus. Because we just have Jesus. And Jesus forgives us. And he, he knows that they're undermining him. And it's almost like they've got buyer's remorse. Mm, is the gospel really good enough? Can it really deliver me from the power of sin? Can it really do what it's meant to do? This is a crisis in the Galatian church. The alarms are going off. This is a 911. This is a church going down because they're believing in a gospel plus something else. And be aware that you do not believe in a gospel plus. A gospel plus. But you truly believe. This is a crisis moment in the church because they're moving away. The whole point, grace and peace to you, the whole point of Paul's apostolic calling from verse 1, called by Jesus Christ, is that he was a preacher of grace because he was an apostle to the Gentiles. The Gentiles were seen as dogs. They were nothing to the Jews. And it was absolutely outrageous that a Jewish teacher would be converted by Jesus and would go to the nations to preach the grace of God and the gospel. It is fantastic. It is so remarkable that we should never underestimate, although we live in a Western world in a, a post-Christian era just about now, we live in this, we should never underestimate the wonder that through the Messiah Jesus, he declares that all nations, all people, all castes, all social levels, men and women and children, all people are made in the image of God and God desires to come. The whole point of Paul's ministry was grace. The whole point of the letter of Galatians is grace. The whole point of God's rescue plan for humanity is what? Grace. It's grace. And so he says this, I love this. Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. Do you know what I love about this little line in verse 4? I love this word for. Look at that word. It's a little word. Who gave himself for our sins. You cannot deal with your sins any way except through what Jesus Christ did for our sins. You cannot be forgiven except through Jesus Christ on the cross. You cannot find salvation any other way except for what Jesus Christ did upon the cross. You see, if you are drowning... It's very hard when you're drowning to rescue yourself. Have you ever thought about that? And yet what the gospel 
plus something else is suggesting is that we are all drowning, but actually, if we work harder, if we swim harder, if we breathe correctly, if we do this, we can rescue ourselves despite of what Jesus Christ did. It's impossible to rescue yourself when you are drowning. And the truth of the gospel is that every one of us is drowning in our sins and we all need a lifeline. And that lifeline comes from Jesus Christ himself who came down to this earth to grab hold of us and to lift us up because the message of the gospel is a rescue operation for those in humanity to rescue us from sin, to rescue us from judgment, to rescue us from this evil age, to bring rescue into our world. Have you been rescued? We've all been rescued. We've been rescued on that beautiful, there's nothing I could have done. I was drowning. Give it a few more years, I've probably been dead. But Jesus, he rescued me. And we need to remind ourselves every day that, that he rescued us, that he came according to the will of our Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Look at this. To the will of the Father. In other words, we're all needing rescuing. We all live in an evil age. But the will of the Father... The plan of the Father, the truth of the Father, God's plan of salvation was to rescue humanity and to bring his grace and to bring the salvation and for God to come and to move and to come to us. This is God's plan. This is not man's plan. In fact, the religious in the world scoff at this plan. The religious in the world and those who like to work their way to get better mock this plan because it seems ridiculous that we don't have to do anything, but we just have to believe by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I can say to you, in the opening verses of Galatians, that this is God's plan according to God's will, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I love that. Amen. You know Paul's meaning business here in the book of Galatians. He's ready. And you and I, we need to rediscover the amen. Have you rediscovered the amen? The amen is so be it. It is true. I agree. Amen. The grace and the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. But remember this, that he died for your sins that you have been rescued from this evil age. And this is the will, the plan of the almighty God. Can I say here an amen? amen. That was good. I love it. And I've got to look in myself and remind myself that I live in the amen. That I get up in the morning with the amen. That I go to bed at night with the amen. That I remind myself that I've been rescued. Amen. That I'm a sinner, amen. And that I've received the grace of God, amen. amen. Paul opens it up in such a dynamic way. 
that the cry of amen echoes now through the pages. But it's a very challenging thing to live in the amen. Because we always want to add something. We always want to become the Worcestershire man. Become stubborn. We always think we can rescue ourselves. But we have to throw ourselves utterly on the grace of God. So as we move forward, and you can read the next verses. As we move forward, Paul is setting the scene. He's saying, prodigal church, prodigal church, are you willing to come back? Prodigal church, you're living in a distant place. You're going to end up in the pig pen. Are you willing to come back? Prodigal church, don't go that way. The gospel plus this, plus that, plus that is no gospel. Who has bewitched you? Who has lied to you? You're being cut away from grace and you're going to fall if you don't. But the father is here, prodigal church. And then the father loves you. And you know the story. The son came to his senses and said to himself, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will go back to my father and I will say to my father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He's preparing a speech. Getting the right words. How many of you have ever heard children prepare a speech for you? How many of you heard your husbands prepare a speech? And he's preparing a speech and he's walking back towards his home. But what is the father doing? The father is standing there looking for the son. The Bible says, as we read, he saw him. Means he was searching for him. And God is always searching. When he saw him, it says he was filled with compassion for him. God is always reaching out for the lost with compassion. It says that he ran to him. Imagine that scene. The son's walking up the road. Father, I have sinned against heaven, against earth. No longer worthy to be father. Father, father. Imagine your father running towards you. I imagine mine. He's got a big stomach and a beard. It's a frightening thought. But dad's running towards again. Father, father, no, no. And the beard's flapping in the end. He's pulled up his, his robes because you can't run without pulling up your robes. He's making himself look ridiculous. He gets to the sun and the sun thinks, what's he going to do? Slap me? Get the belt out? Throw him in the doghouse. He throws his arms around him and he kisses him. Freeze Netflix. Right there. That is the position of grace. That is grace. He's lost, he's found. Not only found, he's held. Not only held, he's kissed. And kissing is a sign of blessing in the Old Testament. Not only that, but he's dressed. And we've been dressed again. Not only that, he gets a ring of authority. He gets sandals of his position and his, um, his position in life. 
and they kill the calf and they have a party. Aren't you glad that God's not English? Or German? If it was an English story, it'd be like he's walking up the path and the father sees him and twitches the curtains. Or if it's a German story, twitches, yeah. Walks up to the big house like Downton Abbey. The boy has to push the bell, ding dong. Bates comes to the door to answer. The film's coming out next week. Bates comes to the door, the butler. He says, I've come to see my father. Coming in, take a seat. Dad walks in, an English father. Hello, son. Good to see you. It's been a while. Just wait here for a moment. We'll get you a cup of tea, shall we? And walk on. That's not grace. Grace is a father running down a path. Grace is tears of compassion. Grace is an embrace of love. Grace of the gospel is to be rescued, to be redeemed, to enter the plan. And the great apostle sets the scene in five verses and says, now come on. It's time for all of you to get back in the plan. The will of God. The plan of God. And maybe you are outside the plan this morning. And it's really simple to get back, start walking down the path towards the Father. You turn, the Father runs. You turn, and then the Father runs. Thanks be to God, the grace. And as we enter Galatians, we're going to Fight our way through the glorious truth, verse after verse. Let's stand together. Father, as we stand together in prayer, Lord, we thank you for the immense truth that there is in the grace of God. And thank you that the grace of God changes us. Thank you that I'm nothing without the grace of God. And I cast myself on you, Lord. And Lord, this morning, for each one of us for a moment, if you need to reset your GPS spiritually, you need to leave a distant country and start walking up a path, if it's time for you to stop being stubborn for years and racking up a debt you cannot pay, throw yourself on the grace of God. If you're not even a Christian this morning, reach out in a simple prayer and say, Lord, forgive me. Come into my life and change me. I give my whole life to you this morning. Change me, Jesus. Change me. And save me, I ask, right now.
In Jesus' name I ask. Bless us, Lord. Help us to live in the A to Z of the gospel. Help us to live in the truth of the rescue plan. And I declare I was a renegade. I was unrighteous. But you exchanged my unrighteousness for your righteousness. And I was redeemed. I was rescued. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Amen.